LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. My name is Daniel Lim, and I'm here with Todd Atkins. What? And Paul Son. Paul is a friend. He is oh, a... Yeah. Long time. <laughs> yeah. And way overdue. Way overdue to bringing him on the podcast. I would like to say, and Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, I have mentioned 5OQ a number of times over the years, have I not? Right. Yeah. You have, actually. And now, finally, yeah, we have chased you down <laughs> on a dreary day. At least it's dreary here, but it's not dreary where you are, is it? <laughs> actually, it is. It's it actually is. raining. Well, Eric Geiger brought all kinds of bad things to California when he came. <laughs> I just want to say, if you consider the things, natural disasters, different things that have happened there since he's arrived, it's, it's all Eric's quite fault. significant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Daniel, tell us a little bit more. Yeah, Paul. so Paul is a uh, he's a leadership consultant, coach, author of the book Quarter Life Calling. Highly recommended if you haven't read it yet. He's a speaker, founder of Cara, and a former internal change management consultant at Boeing. And he loves Jesus. Yes. And struggles with call to ministry all the time, too. Yeah, and we have uh, shared, we both were at UBC in Vancouver, kind of knew the same people a little bit here and there, so there's a little bit of a personal connection there. So welcome, Paul. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Fantastic. Well, let's, uh, I'll kick us off. Why don't you start by sharing with us who you're learning from? Yeah. Um, so I've been reading a lot of books lately um, on my kind of like next book that I'm researching. And it's going to be really on uh, identity in Christ. That's kind of the whole thing. And uh, Matthew West, I'm sure you guys know him. Um, he wrote a book called uh, Hello, My Name Is, which mm-hmm. is also a song that he wrote. And it just talks about um, how everybody has different name tags or lies that they've believed and how the enemy has tried to kind of hijack kind of who we are in mm-hmm. Christ. So um, it was a great book because throughout this whole process, uh, God's been helping me to look into my own life and see what are the, some of the false name tags that I've kind of bought into, right? whether that is uh, being lonely or um, having uh, bouts of depression or anxiety, all these things that I've been wrestling with. That's Mm -hmm. a process that I've been just kind of overcoming and wrestling. So uh, it was actually surprisingly a really good book um, grounded in the scripture. And then there's uh, a few other books that come to mind. Uh, Neil Anderson, um, Victory Over Darkness was a really good read about how do you find freedom in Christ and what does that process look like? Um, uh, Tony Evans has another great book called Free at Last. Hmm. And it's all around the same theme of how how do you actually practically discover um, your identity in Christ and how do you find freedom uh, throughout the whole process? So it's, it's been a really fun journey, at least for me, as I started reading and seeing God doing its work uh, in, in my life. So yeah, it's been good. pretty cool. So, so what led you personally? Cause I know with your experience at Boeing and, um, and just what you've been emphasizing on, especially in the leadership space and what you've been coaching and consulting on, what led you to really 
uh, more of a, a, a really, I'm, I, I'm not going to say that your previous book wasn't Christian because it was, but this, you know, really talking about identity in Christ. I mean, that's really, I don't even it's a know radical if I could shift. say, yeah, I don't even know if I could say really Christian, but it is a really <laughs> Christian book. So what kind of shifted that emphasis for Christianer? You? Yeah. <laughs> Christianer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, when I published my first book, Quarter Life Calling, um, it was all about pretty much a roadmap for those in their 20s and 30s trying to figure out what is their life purpose, right? What is their life calling? So for the last three to four years, I had the opportunity to travel to Korea, you know, Japan, Philippines, and uh, other parts in America, really talking about this message that God has a calling upon your life. But one thing I realized as I've been interacting with a lot of millennials was that um, many were asking, okay, what do I, what am I supposed to do? But I realized that the actual first question that they need to answer is, uh, who am I? Right. And this idea of identity um, needs to be clear and have a good understanding of what that looks like in Christ. Then they're able to go and actually discover, okay, maybe this is a, Uh, an assignment or a calling that God has placed in my life. But I think the conversation was a little bit premature because I was assuming that they already knew and had understanding of who they were in Christ. But uh, unfortunately, many people didn't. Um, And as a result, they might go all through this process of, you know, assessments and self-awareness and all that stuff. But um, it's one thing to discover maybe what your calling is. And it's not quite another thing to actually live into it. And when you try to live into it, you need a lot of courage. You need a lot of, uh, you need to know that this is something God has called you and overcome perhaps a lot of the fear that, that you have. Yeah. And if your identity is not set in Christ, then you're just going to struggle and you're just going to kind of be stagnant. So um, I feel like this next book that I'm writing on is more, like uh, kind of what do you call it? Like uh, it's a precedent. It's it's something that comes before my first book. Um, And it's going to really hope, hopefully help this generation uh, set free from a lot of the bondage and a lot of the lies that they believe about who they are. That's great. So I do want to ask a follow-up question there. You know, when we, uh, we, we often think about looking in the mirror and you mentioned labels before, um, do you think it's, how important is it to look at who we are, uh, in Christ versus, or understanding the importance of that or understanding the difference of that, um, versus, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, there's a blank name tag on there who. Who are you paying attention to? Who, who are you letting write that on your your name? Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, can you rephrase the question? Like, well, what do you mean? I'm trying to best understand what your question is. <clears throat> well, the question would be, how important is it to make sure where you're, how you're seeing yourself? Like, what what lens are you seeing yourself mm. through? And what lenses oh, yeah. are you thinking people are using to currently view themselves and how would you help them shift toward yeah, the lens of scripture yeah, for sure. who, who they are in Christ? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the reason why I believe that um, seeing yourself as God sees you is so important is because 
this generation right now, um, a lot of 20 somethings right now, we're seeing the level of anxiety, uh, depression, just off the charts, right? And especially with social media and all that, um, it's just created a culture where people are comparing their behind the scenes with everybody's highlight reels. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's created a, a false kind of a expectation and maybe reality of uh, what life should look like. And I think when people's uh, identity is based on what other people think, it, it really is a recipe for disaster. Um, whether that is finding your identity in um, approval, what other people are saying, whether it's parents or friends or culture in general, or whether it's performance, right? And that's part of my story of trying to um, set this American dream goal, right? And for me to pursue that, but then at the end, um, finding finding it very empty and meaningless uh, because I've made performance a counterfeit identity for my life. And that whole process of realizing it um, and really unlearning a lot of the lies that I've believed and replacing that with the truth of what God says about me has been uh, extremely, uh, it's a a long process, but uh, it's an intentional process, but it is one of the most freeing process as well. So you have greater confidence in just knowing who you are and you're not going to start comparing yourself to other people. And that's some of the things I've seen is, you know, especially on social media, which I have a love relationship because you go on and you see all these people who are writing all these books and traveling and all that stuff. And if you're not careful, the enemy is going to use those to attack you to make you feel like you're not good enough or you're somehow behind instead of truly just being myself and knowing that God is in control and I'm just going to be faithful and be a faithful steward of what God's given me instead of constantly comparing myself. So I think, you know, a lot of people unknowingly are already a, a victim of a spiritual kind of identity theft. Right. And I think by helping them understand that there is a spiritual warfare going on and that only by knowing who they are in Christ is going to set them free. So uh, I think this is really uh, a really great transition to our second question, which normally is about emphasis. It used to be about obstacles. So Mm. I'm going to go back old school and ask you, what obstacles are you, you know, currently faced with slash overcoming as you have been writing this book? You know, you talked about achievement a, a little bit there earlier in that, that, uh, answer, but what current obstacles are being revealed? Like what are some of the things that have come to the surface in the course of writing that you are now addressing? Oh man, there's a lot. I mean, (laughs) I think one thing, uh, in relation to performance, um, that's been highlighted was kind of this desire for approval and how I have, have gone through Number of experiences growing up as a third culture kid, I came back to Korea when I was 10 years old. And there was a moment where I literally didn't speak any Korean, right? And mm. I was thrown into a Korean school, literally had to somehow acclim- acclimate myself as quickly as possible just to survive. And, um, you know, I was picked on a lot. My teachers would call me and ask me to read certain parts of the textbook in front of the whole class. 
which everybody does, but I just didn't speak Korean well. So I would pretty much butcher the whole thing. And um, I would pretty much embarrass myself. And, mm. and that's when I really started to think that maybe like, I'm not a great speaker or I'm not good enough. You know, people are going to reject me. Wow. Um, and I think that also translated into my family relationship with my dad, um, who was a very successful businessman, worked for one company for 30 years, ended up becoming an executive of a you know, global company and a great Christian guy as well. So always I felt, what do I need to do in order to um, earn his approval, earn his love? And something that I couldn't really put words into it in the last five years, but over the last five years, as God has helping me become more secure and confident in who I am, I re realized that I've bought into some of these lies myself. And over the last several years, it's just been a process of, of knowing that I don't have to uh, do things to feel like I'm going to be accepted. Knowing that I am living for God, who is, uh, really the audience of one that I'm living for, that he accepts me just the way I am, um, has been one of the greatest liberating truth that I've been really meditating on. So, um, yeah, it's something that comes up for me. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And especially in light of the fact that, I mean, we're living in the gig economy and, um, I mean, in light of that shift, uh, the, the book that I'm writing on, um, or almost finished up is, really wrapped around in light of that, hey, how much more are we placing our emphasis and defining ourselves around what we do? So, I mean, this is, this is you know, talking about Christian identity, oh, it's, it's something that it's not, you don't just read a book and you finish. No. You need to read multiple <laughs> and right. meditate on and think through. And it's most gonna, yeah, yeah. People, people naturally are going to connect their identity to something. Completely. Uh, and sometimes someone, unfortunately, uh, if, when that someone's other than Christ. So it, it really is important to center and feel out, okay, w what is that for me? Yeah. And then is that a healthy? Yeah, healthy completely, piece? completely. So Paul, uh, when you look at your daily life, because right now you're, you're about to have a major life transition. <laughs> do, Absolutely. Do, do, do. <laughs> so why don't you tell our listeners, I mean, when, when's the wedding date? The wedding date's on April 27th All right. in Orange County. So April, you know, it's coming up in a couple months and uh, obviously there's that. You launched Cara. What was it? Was it last year or was it two years ago now? It's about a year and a half now. Okay. Yeah. So you launched that and yeah, there's just been so much going on. It's been fun to keep up with you via, you know, text messaging and social media and all that stuff. But, but Paul, um, when you look at your daily life right now and you look at the things that you have to do to grow as a leader, uh, and just in your everyday life, what are two or three of those things? And you can't say Bible reading because that's in a, you know, that's, that's <laughs> obvious. Going. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think right now, um, what I've, I've been doing every day is going to uh, what's called the early morning kind of prayer service at church. Um, and it's for, for, for those who aren't Korean, um, it's just one of those things that the Korean church, uh, they do 
um, every day from Monday to Saturday at 5.30 a.m. And it's just uh, a time where they, the pastor comes up and uh, we do actually a few singing of hymns. And then uh, the pastor comes and shares a short message. And pretty much the whole thing is about praying. And God's been really challenging me just to discipline myself and to wake up every day, five o'clock and just commit my entire day starting with prayer. Um, and that's been so awesome. Like even today morning I was there and I've been going for the last now, last two weeks every day. And it's been hard. I mean, waking up early is not my thing, you know, yeah. but uh, waking up and just starting with the word and just praying, there's nothing like that. The whole day changes that attitude uh, changes, just how you see your, your life changes. So it's just uh, something that I realized there's so much power in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm very grateful for like the first generation Koreans who, who really started that because um, from what I know, I think Korean churches are the only church that really does this all across uh, in Korea and the, in the Korean diaspora as well. So that's uh, one thing that comes up for me. Um, and then second is uh, just reading. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge reader and I know a lot of the listeners for you guys are big readers too, but um, just reading is something that's just part of who I am. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to read at least a few hours a day um, and reading different type of topics as well, whether it's um, spiritual Christian books, but also biographies, uh, books on I don't know, philosophy, science, um, mostly nonfiction books is what I love reading about and learning. So those are two things that I try to do. Um, and also with the reading, um, I know that when I read, I'm going to forget most of the stuff. So I, I, I've started to really just note take a lot of the different ideas or things and applications or things that I want to apply in my life. Uh, on my own notebook. So hmm. that's been really, really helpful. That's awesome. What are some uh, of your favorite books and biographies you've, you've worked through recently? Well, my all time favorite is called the walking from East to West by Ravi Zacharias. Okay. And it's one of those books. actually, I think one of the few books that I read about his entire story and which I've been following him for over a decade now, but, um, his biography literally like put me into tears. Um, it was so powerful, so impactful. Um, and it's, he's just one of those guys that I have so much respect and admiration for of how not only defends the, the gospel, but also does it in a very like graceful way, mm. gracious way and just a loving way. And I think that's where I really connected with this, um, his whole thing on apologetics but other books too, um, I mean, uh, in terms of leadership, uh, John Maxwell's books always are classics, you know, whether it's the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, that's, you know, something I really, really go back to all the time. But another one that I really enjoy is called uh, The Culture Map by Aaron Myers. Okay. And it's anybody who is 
part of uh, a culture other than America or other than their own country, uh, people who really want to in- increase their cultural intelligence. It's just a great book that talks about how different ethnicities and nationalities, they communicate differently. The high context, low context culture, it goes into that. And then it talks about like decision-making as well. Um, it's just a really cool way of looking at some of the filters different cultures have. And for me, you know, growing up as a Korean and then studying Canada and America now, like I think for me, it's always something I'm always curious about is the different type of cultures and all that stuff. That's awesome. That's very good. All right. This may be uh, an interesting question for you to answer at this point in time. Maybe we should ask you now and then have you on a year from now and ask you this. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But what does leadership in your home currently look like? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting question because uh, I'm literally in a transition. Um, you know, all my life, I've my primary role at home has been kind of a son, a brother to my younger sister. But now I'm literally have 100 days left for my wedding. So uh, God's been really preparing me to learn what does it mean to be a leader of a family, to be uh, a husband. And for last year, my fiance and I, we've been going through a number of different books um, on marriage and really thinking through what are some of the challenges that we're going to experience because my fiance um, was born and raised in Korea all her life. And I know there are going to be a lot of cultural differences compared with me and also having her come into America, it's going to be a big shift. So I think it's been helpful for me to mentally and just emotionally and spiritually prepare myself around what does it mean to take on this new calling as a husband. Um, so that's that's been on my mind. And I think um, there's a lot of struggles, especially with um, when you're trying to stand up for your fiance. Um, and your, your soon-to-be wife, and dealing with a lot of the pressure uh, with you know my side of the family, with my parents, and also also her side, and just how do you navigate that whole piece is something that something I'm learning. So I've been reaching out to people, um, asking for opinions, thoughts, advice, and just trying to navigate this whole process. So yeah. I mean, I know Daniel, you you're you're <laughs> you have a podcast on this and yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you could uh, give me a lot of insights as well, but uh, it's it's something definitely that's on my mind. That's great. That's great. I mean, I I'd, I'd be curious to know as you're as you've been engaged and as you're walking toward marriage, I'm sure we have some listeners here who are dating, um, who are considering engagement, uh, consider, you know, they're a few steps behind you. What kind of advice would you give them? Oh man, it's a big question. I mean, ultimately based out of my experience for me was, um, I, you know, I wasn't, like, oh, I have to find somebody and get engaged. Like I wasn't like r- rushing myself so much. I, I knew that I wanted to get married. Um, I was spending a lot of the time just praying and preparing myself. You know, um, I think one of the best things that you could do to prepare yourself for marriage is to work on your character. Mm-hmm. Um, and God's been really doing a lot of work in my life, um, especially to focus more on how to be a more loving person. Um, 
And that's been a big theme for the last few years. And um, I think for someone who really wants to think about engagement and wedding, um, character is going to really be one of those things that God's going to hone you, in, especially in that relationship. Um, I'm sure there's other advice, whether it's about finding somebody who has the same value system and somebody who compliments you, which I think everybody knows about, but more, most importantly, I think is relying on God and asking him to lead you and guide you in his own timing, mm-hmm. instead of just trying for you to be your own God and say, okay, I'm going to choose this person because I'm 35 or six or, you know, everybody's getting married and I don't want to just be single all my life. Right. Yeah. And I think that requires a lot of faith and trust. And for anybody who's, Thinking about that, I think, you know, that's what I would tell them. What are, uh, what are the best, what's the best book or two that you guys have walked through together over the last year that you would, you'd recommend? Um, the first one that was really good for me was Love and Respect by Emerson Agreed. Yeah, I don't know how to say his last name, yeah. but um, it's a really good book because it talks about the whole idea that love for man is actually receiving respect. Um, and, and for the wife and the bride, you're supposed to love unconditionally as yourself and putting language behind the different needs and how God has wired men and women differently was so enlightening. And as we was reading that book, we would kind of go through a lot of the discussion questions and also just talking about if there's like what, what stuck, stood out for us specifically um, and how can we use this information to support each other, love each other, respect each other. So um, yeah, that's been really, really helpful. I think that's one book. And then uh, another one that really has helped us was um, um, what's called uh, oh, you, and, you and Me Forever. I think it's by Francis Chan. Um, so that's another great read that talks about kind of the whole idea of marriage and what it, what it is. It's not based out of just you're marrying based out of fe- a feeling. A love is actually um, a, a will uh, action. Yeah. It's an action. It's not just a, just a feeling. Oh, I just have these hormones working inside of me. Therefore I love you. Um, and so it's restoring this whole idea of what love is really about yeah. from a biblical perspective. So yeah, those two books kind of come up for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we just talked about this idea of, you know, what would you, what kind of advice, what kind of resources would you give someone who's engaged and about to get married? But our last question is along similar lines. And I know you probably have a lot to say about this because your ministry has really been focused on millennials and on, um, on individuals who are finding their quarter life calling. I love that twenties, thirties. So if you were sitting across your 20 year old self, what would you tell yourself? What would you tell Paul as a 20 year old about preparing to lead? Yeah. I mean, I think what I would tell my uh, 20 year younger self is to, um, to work on yourself, meaning that um, really think about why you are doing what you're doing and maybe some of the beliefs and things that you've learned throughout your life. Um, where is that coming from? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of your anxiety and a lot of the lies that I believed about myself came from the Korean Confucian culture or 
came from my parents or came from just a larger society in general. Yeah. And I, I was a product of that. And I think if I had spent more time um, doing a lot of that work would have helped me to perhaps over, like uh, maybe not experience the, the intensity of the pain I had to go through in my quarter life crisis um, because a lot of it was just kind of a, kind of a wake up moment for me realizing that I've been living this lie yeah. um, and how I think there was a quote, how real failure is succeeding in the wrong things. Right. And I think <laughs> wow. part of, for me was I was succeeding in the wrong things. And that as a result, I was not being fulfilled and I had to, I had a lot of sleepless nights where I had to really re-examine what that might look like. But I think going back honestly to uh, the word of God is something that I cannot emphasize enough. Um, although it sounds very like a, just a Bible answer, but to me it's a real answer because the more I have been reading the Bible, the more it started to expose a lot of the lies I believe of my, about myself and how the word of God became like uh, a tool to heal me um, from a lot of these lies and how God was speaking to me that I am God's child. I am uh, really his masterpiece and I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. And that becoming not just a, a trite message that you hear, but like really sticking into the heart. And, and when I hear those words that I would just truly like tear up because I understand the, the, the life that I was living and how without God, I was just deserving death and condemnation and judgment. But God, who is so rich in his mercy and grace that he just loves me for who I am and that he sent his only son for me. Like, wow, like really, like if you grab, grasp the enormity of that statement, it just changes your life. And I think with this generation, um, it's sad because first of all, they're not really reading the word of God. And as a result, um, truth has been distorted and it's based out of feelings and the postmodernism, everything else that we're seeing is very, very sad. So as we go back to the word of God, putting my, myself more into the word of God is something that I think is just life changing. Um, so I would tell my younger self, um, as much as you love self-development, um, as much as you enjoy all the things you're doing on the side, whether it's blogging and all that stuff, uh, the more you spend in the word of God is going to really be the foundation of your life. Yeah, we can agree with you more um, completely. And I know jokingly on our third question, we were like, other than the Bible, uh, you know, what are two or three things you absolutely must do daily? And, and we say it that way because Todd and I know, I mean, from uh, the research here as well, I mean, just how transformational that is upon your relationship with God and on all other aspects of your life. Mm, absolutely. So, uh, Paul, talking about Orange County, uh, we're actually going to be your way next month. We're going to be there awesome. for our Blueprint coaching event. So, Todd, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that? I would be more than happy to. <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things about um, walking 
over 3,500 people, church leaders through Pipeline now, yeah. is when they get around to implementation, the the struggles that they begin to have. And yeah. so Blueprint Coaching is a kind of a response to that. We'd already shifted most of our Pipeline stuff to a coaching model because that was most effective. But going beyond that is to try to help people, whatever change it is that they're implementing, like how do you actually do it? What does that look like? What are the steps? And, you know, we can all read Cotter's Leading Change, but what does that actually look like in a church? Mm-hmm. Give me some exercises to do. Give me some processes that are unique to church, and how can I walk, you know, with my team through those? So it the whole thing is designed for you to, you know, kind of walk in with your, your dream and walk out with a plan on, man, how are we yeah. going to actually do this, and what are the steps along the way, and, yeah. you know, do I have some— tools and frameworks to like actually help me get this done. Completely. So that's what we do. Yeah. So the event blueprint coaching, the whole thing is going to be focused around change. And Paul, you being a, I didn't realize you were a change management, an know, internal like, change management uh-oh. consultant at Boeing. <laughs> so, we could have had a really good person. <laughs> yeah. I wish we would have known that. So, so Paul, I'd, I'd love as we, uh, as we're kind of approaching the end of our podcast, what, what, if a tr- if one of the church leaders here are listening and they're like, "Hey, I need to change something at my church," uh, what advice would you give them from the corporate world? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of any change is knowing that people are resistant to change. Yeah. It's just that's how we're wired, right? And I think a big part of it is um, always has to start with a compelling vision from the top. Yeah. And the p- compelling vision has to be communicated in a way where now you're asking people to say, hey, this is the vision. I can't do it alone. We need you because you're the one on the ground. You're the expert. Now let's have conversation. And I want to, I want to really hear your thoughts, right? And I think that part is often um, just, you know, um, it's, 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 it's overlooked because people are more interested about um, the process and they don't want to go through the messiness of and spend the time, right? Uh, where the leadership actually listens um, because we think we all know what the answer is. Yeah. And I think part of the solution comes when you listen actively and it's embracing that the messiness of change and it's not a linear process. It's going to perhaps make you feel you're going behind and somehow you have to do more work and maybe the problem and the, the real root of the issue is not the real root of the issue. So that whole process, I think it requires a lot of communication, a lot of listening from all parts of the stakeholders. And as you go through that process, I think then you're able to now see um, a critical mass of people who want to see this change. Um, and I think if you are able to gather that critical mass of people, then you're definitely on the right direction. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks, Paul, for being on the podcast with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great finally uh, to be on the podcast. But thanks so much, Todd, Daniel. Love the work you guys are doing and really appreciate it. Fantastic. And as always, the Five Leadership Questions podcast is a part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. And, And if you haven't yet checked out the Making Disciples podcast, 
you're going to want to do that. Uh, they are a part of the network. And what's great about the um, the Making Disciples one in particular is that Robbie Gallaty and Chris Swain, I mean, they talk all about discipleship, right? You just got to look up Making Disciples on your favorite podcasting app. But some of the recent episodes, I mean, they've talked about, they did a whole series on how to develop a discipleship pathway, a topic near and dear to my heart, uh, how to disciple your family and how to sustain discipleship long-term. So be sure to check out them. And if you are interested in the change management uh, coaching time that we have, the Blueprint Coaching event, just make sure to text the word Blueprint to the number 888-111. That's Blueprint to the number 888-111 and we'll get you information right away. Well, thanks again for listening and we'll catch you guys next time.